let's take a moment, take some time to, to look at what it looks like to not just live like Jesus, but look like Jesus. And just before we do, for those of you who are joining us online or if you're here, uh, I want to take a moment and honor Bob Drew. Uh, he's an original member of Life Center. He was our first worship leader, a co-founder of the Food Bank in Blackburn Hamlet, and he went to be with Jesus uh, today at 410 this morning. And so he found out he had cancer just a, just a few weeks ago. And so um, his wife uh, is already in heaven, and so they have already been reunited. And so, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor for us to honor today and to honor him, uh, just a tremendous, tremendous individual here at Life Center who loved Jesus with his whole heart. And so it's my honor just to dedicate this morning to him and to his memory. And of course, celebration of life and those details, we don't have them yet, but we will pass them along uh, when we do and we're praying for you as the Drew family in this time and in this season. You know, as Pastor Lori said, we spent the last six weeks, you know, diving into what is it rooted in? What is it living like Jesus? We talked about offense and forgiveness and reconciliation and restitution, and these are really, really important things. But for the next six weeks, what we want to do is we want to ask the Holy Spirit. One second, I just got to fix this. We want to ask the Holy Spirit to, um, to help us through God's word, to help us look at the world, look at our own hearts, and specifically the others, we want to do this, that how does Jesus look at the world? How does he look at our hearts? How does he look at everything that's going on in the world in which we live? And we want to use the Sermon on the Mount. There's an author by the name of Sky Jathani who wrote a book called, uh, What If Jesus Was Serious? Like, what if he was actually serious about these things? And so it's a great book. It's a good compliment book. If you want to pick it up, again, Sky Jathani, uh, What If Jesus Was Serious? But here's what he says. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is not a to-do list. It is a good news list. Jesus is describing who has the most to gain by the arrival of his kingdom. He is not prescribing what you must do to enter it. And so I want to take you to the very first book of, Matt, of the New Testament, Matthew. And I also want to take you to Israel. In Israel, there's this beautiful region called the Galilee, where, of course, you've got the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's, it's spectacularly beautiful. When I had a chance to visit Israel, it was my favorite place to go. And so I could really see, like, I could really see why Jesus loved the region so much, because it is so beautiful. I want you to imagine him standing at the bottom of a hill, and he's now speaking up this way, and there's a hill that is in front of him. His disciples are all around him. The Sea of Galilee is behind him, and it's not a mountain. It's not like, it's, it's think of Edelweiss. Think of a hill that you can get to the top of. It's not like Everest. It's just, it's a hill, and it's almost like this beautiful amphitheater where, again, they're all seated up the hill, and Jesus is just speaking this way to them, this, using the natural acoustics of the, the, the surrounding environment. He begins to talk about what it means to be blessed. Now, you and I as Christians, we use the word blessed to cover a lot of things. You know, we have expressions around it, like I'm too blessed to be stressed. Like we just have all these little things that are all built around it. But if, so, if you get a promotion, I'm blessed. If someone gives you, you know, you get a new car, I'm blessed. If you get this, I'm blessed. If this happens, I'm blessed. We just use this word everywhere in every which way. And what we want to do today is we don't want to just critique those things, but what we want to do is align to be able to say, when you think of the word blessing, first and foremost, what comes to mind? Don't shout it out. Just think about it. Those of you online, you can just think about it. What comes to mind when you hear and you think of the word being blessed? And then what we want to do is we want to allow Jesus to speak about how does he look at blessing? From Jesus's perspective, what does a blessed life 
actually look like? What do you think a blessed life looks like? And what does Jesus say a blessed life looks like? And then where do we need to align to what Jesus said? When I wrote this and kind of engaged this, I realized, whoo, there's a lot of ways that Jesus sees blessing quite differently than I see blessing. And I need to align to how he sees it. So again, Jesus begins to preach in Matthew chapter 5, and here's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or of the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, not because of the dumb things that we do. They're persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed, you are blessed when they insult you and they persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus said that blessing, or you and I being blessed, is when our hearts are formed by seven things. Now, there's more than seven things in the passage that I just read, but we're really going to hone in on the seven. We'll touch on persecution at the end, but we're going to save that topic for a little bit down the road. First thing Jesus says is this, blessed are you. Blessed am I when we acknowledge your utter need for God, when we acknowledge our utter need for God. In fact, the greatest gift that God gives you is the gift of presence, the gift of himself, the gift of salvation. But it is only accessed when you come to a place in your own heart and in your life where you admit your need for God that you admit actually that you're spiritually bankrupt to reconcile yourself to God. It doesn't matter your intellect. It doesn't matter your spiritual gifting. It doesn't matter, well, you don't have those yet, but it doesn't matter your bank account. It doesn't matter all of those things. None, None of those things matter. What matters is coming to a place of admitting that you and I need God. You see, When Jesus spoke these words, he was speaking primarily to a Jewish community who was being oppressed by Rome and Roman citizens and Roman power. This is who Jesus was speaking to. And poverty in Jesus' day, they had no access to a social system. You see it all through scriptures where it says that Jesus came and he healed somebody who was begging. That was the only, the only person, a person who was poor, the only access to support that they had was the generosity of somebody else. There was no social system, nothing that they can tap into. And so Jesus says in his beginning Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when you acknowledge that you are poor in spirit, that you are utterly begging and bankrupt. But when you get to that place of realizing that you can't save yourself, that you can't fix yourself, that you can't heal yourself, that you can't restore yourself, that is actually the first place of blessing. That it comes to this brokenness can actually not only be brokenness, it can be blessing. And so you can imagine everybody there who felt in comparison to Rome, in comparison to these things that were happening, all of a sudden the king begins to now talk about a kingdom. King Jesus begins to talk about his kingdom. And it's not for the religious elite. It's not for perfect people. He goes right to the bottom and says, actually, if you will not humble yourself, 
and become a child, if you will not admit that you're not, you're absolutely bankrupt in need of God, then you can't access it. So we first experience God's salvation only when we admit that we are in need of saving in the first place. We experience God's presence only when we admit that we need His presence in the first place. There is this gospel in North America that is being preached. And again, whether you're online, one of our campuses, or you're here in the room, I want you to listen with your whole heart and both your ears right now, because there is a gospel that is being preached to Canadians under the guise of blessing that says this, that you and I can become more like Jesus without dying to ourselves, and it's heresy. It's false. It's wrong. You and I can never become who we can be in Christ, it's going to cost every single one of us dying to ourselves in order to be and to live into the life that Jesus has for us. And I don't know about you, but dying to myself doesn't always feel like a blessing. And Jesus is saying here, blessed are those who acknowledge that their utter need for God, that they are poor in spirit. We have a wonderful professor here named Joanne Savory at Ottawa U, and I'm in a group with her right now, and she said this this week, and I thought it was phenomenal. She said, nobody with privilege wants to give it up. But there is a blessing from God when we do, when we are willing to serve one another. No one can become more like Jesus without dying to ourselves. And Jesus starts his sermon by saying, you're bankrupt. There's nothing you can do to access the love of the Father. It starts with admitting that you're poor in spirit. And then he goes on to say, second, blessed are those of you who mourn because you're going to be comforted. You know, in the chat, you can put a little hand up emoji. But here, how many of you here have ever gone through a hard season? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, like both hands up. I'd put both my feet up if I could simultaneously at the same time. Well, Hang on here. I got to just fix this thing here. Just do a little. Perfect. Life isn't only celebration. How many of the life involves tears? I am leery of any type of Christianity that is taught that only talks about positivity and happiness and blessing and blessing and ignores all the hard things in life. I'm very leery of that. I'm equally leery, though, of a type of Christianity that only talks about pain and not healing from pain. I'm leery of both. It is this beautiful tension of actually holding not one or the other, but both. And here's what Jesus says. He says, blessed are you who mourn. And you can imagine once again the Jewish people listening in that day to Jesus being oppressed by Rome to hear Jesus say in that moment that there's a blessing not only in mourning, but when you mourn, here's what is available, that there's a supernatural comfort to you. How many of you know that in hardship, one of the first things that happens in all of our lives is we wonder where God is? And here God is in the flesh, standing in the person of Jesus, speaking to the people he absolutely loves and to us today, saying that there's a blessing in mourning that you can remember. Why? Because I am going to bring supernatural comfort. Later he said, it's good that I go, that I send the Holy Spirit. And one of the main things the Holy Spirit does, who is also God, is bring comfort to our hearts and lives. So there are tears in life when there is genuine loss. Tears when the world is not as it should be or could be whether it's for an individual, whether it's for a family, whether it's for a people group, whether it's for a nation, there are genuine lament and cries and all of these things that are in the scriptures that are rooted, that are so significant, that there, yes, is a time to dance, but there is also a time to lament and there is a time to mourn. And Jesus says, 
The blessing isn't just that there are different times and that there are different seasons, but he says that in our tears and in our mourning, he promises to bring comfort that God isn't put off by our hardship. He isn't put off through our wrestle and our struggle, that he comes and he brings comfort in the midst of a season. So the next time you're going through a season and tears are streaming down your face and it's okay not to be okay and you're going through a hard time and you just think like, well, I just got to get happy again. I just got to get positive again. I just got to get into my faith again. Remember in that morning, you don't have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can allow the loving arms of Christ to carry you in that moment because he he is actually promised that he's going to bless. There's a blessing for those that mourn because he can bring comfort. It is this word, it is this balm that brings healing. Jesus, again, he is fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah wrote about him that said this, that when the Messiah comes, when King Jesus comes, he's going to provide for those who mourn in Zion to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. Don't stop at mourning when in Christ there is heavenly comfort. Another word for comfort is healing. There is healing under His wings. The third thing that Jesus says is, blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. Notice what it doesn't say. See, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And Jesus comes along and says, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Notice it doesn't say, blessed are the proud who take the earth. It says, blessed are the humble who will inherit the earth. Inheritance is the language of family. It's the language of belonging. If you received an inheritance, unless you maybe knew someone who wasn't in your family by blood, but you became family, inheritance is the language of family. And Jesus is saying in this moment, no, 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 blessed are the humble, not the arrogant, not the proud, but the humble, for they will inherit the earth. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 6 says, all of you, Every one of us, again, online or here today, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Prefer one another. Listen to one another. Love one another. Engage with one another. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride is the most potent and powerful of all sin. And pride can surface in our lives in one of two ways, arrogance or really, really vapid insecurity. Both, both are pride. Both are pride because they have a crippling focus on self. But it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. You want to grow in this area of humility, regardless of your personality? Do a word study on what it means to be meek. Here's another study you may want to do. It's a powerful study. You can do it in 31 days. Take the book of Proverbs. We run, we read one, weed, read, read one proverb. I was one of the kids who had to go to speech therapy when I was young because my R's all blend together. And when I'm tired, they blend together. So read, ah, read one proverb a day. And I want, here's what I want you to do on the side of your Bible. I want you to look at the attributes of the person who is wise versus the attributes of a person who is a fool and ask yourself, God, who am I? How am I behaving? 
It's a powerful thing to surface pride in our own, in our own life, in our own hearts and lives. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Inheritance, as I said, is this beautiful language of family, not earning, but receiving. And here's what's powerful. How many of you know it's hard to be proud when what you've been given in Christ, you didn't earn? It's a gift. Proverbs chapter 16 says this. It says that humility comes before honor. Ephesians 6 tells you and I, that, you know, for me in, in my context, like, you know, honor your spouse and honor your parents, right? Honor those who are in authority over you. So that's true regardless. But how many of you know it's really hard to honor an arrogant person? Like, it's really hard to honor someone if you honor them and they go like, yeah, that's pretty good, but I deserve more. Like, that stuff is like infuriating, but there's something about when someone is humble, when they admit, I don't have it, I don't understand it, let me see it from your perspective, humility is always the breeding ground of honor. Arrogance, it still means that we have to honor, but we got to die to ourselves in order to do it because it's so very hard. Fourth, blessed these are all the things that Jesus said, these are what blessing looks like. How you think about blessing, is it similar to how Jesus talks about blessing? For me, I was like, nope, not even close. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for specifically righteousness. Righteousness translated from Hebrew or Greek into English is, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for justice, for you will be filled. See, righteousness, righteousness is not merely the removal of sin. It is the development of Christ-like character as well. It is not merely one, it has to be both. Blessed are those for hunger for a world that is not the way it should be for most. Blessed are you, Jesus is saying once again to a group of people, who are being oppressed by Rome. And Jesus says, blessed are you who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, who are hungering and thirsting for a world that should not be the way it is. To be made righteous is to be made right. The things that are wrong to be made right. Not just acknowledged, but made right. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for these things. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it always bends towards justice. It always bends towards righteousness. And again, righteousness is both the removal of sin, but it is equally the character of Christ being formed in us. As an example, as followers of Jesus, it is not enough to repent where we have been greedy. It is not enough to only repent of the sin of greed. It is also submitting ourselves in humility to say, God, would you grow me then in generosity with my time, with my talent, and with my treasure? It's not enough just to admit what is wrong. God, would you grow in me that which is right? everything that is sinful, God. Father, would yes, would you forgive me of those things, but would you grow in me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control? Because God, if these things don't grow in me, if it's only just being forgiven over here, but not growing in Christ's likeness, how do you and I then, as salt and light, which we're going to talk about next week, how do we transform a world that we are the identical substance of? How do we do this? 
So again, it's not, it's, it's nothing wrong with saying, you know, God, absolutely forgive me. Yes, wholeheartedly, 100%. But the gospel is not just you get forgiven. It is then you and I make a Jesus-sized difference with, with, when we were made different, of a different substance, a different heart, a different spirit, put a right spirit within us. Then again, it's not just individualistic. It's God, now how do you use my life and our lives together to make things that are unjust, just? See, the gospel is not just you, you get salvation, you go to heaven, and you die. It's not all about you. It's all about his story. And God wants to use his collective broken church with our spots and wrinkles to be humble enough and working together enough to engage the story of justice. Now, the first four Beatitudes are all rooted in what we need from God. So in other words, here's where it tilts. When we acknowledge our need of God, when we are comforted in our mourning, when we are humble, and when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, then here's the next three that he says. Those of you who begin to engage this, this is what it looks like. Blessed are the merciful, for they are shown mercy. Picture yourself standing where I am right now. And on your left over here is Abba Father, God the Father. And on your right over here is someone who has wronged you. And now turn towards your Father. And your Father, for the first four things that we've just covered, He has done every single one of those things for us in Christ. When we admit that we are spiritually bankrupt, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we mourn, he comforts us. When we humble ourselves in any which way, there's an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance that we receive. And lastly, when our hearts hunger and thirst for righteousness, there can be a filling now rooted with God the Father transformed in the work of the Son through the power of the Spirit. Blessed are those who have received mercy, and now they give mercy to the one who is wronged. You and I are living between a mercy received from God and a mercy to be extended to someone else. When we forgive, no matter If it is received or reconciled, we are blessed. Forgiveness is stopping to make others earn what you have received freely. Rich Vilados says it this way. How many of the scripture says that perfect love casts out all fear? You and I, though, are living in a time where paralyzing fear is casting out all love. And instead of looking at one another with mercy, we are looking at our one another with everything but mercy. Now listen, I am saying these words right after I just talked about and what Jesus spoke about, which was justice. They don't cancel each other out. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy does not ignore or excuse what has taken place. It acknowledges it fully and completely, yet rather the continuing the cycle of hatred and violence, it starts a new cycle of grace. That brings us to the sixth thing that Jesus said, which is this. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Which first and foremost, every single one of us has to say, shoot, I'm not pure in heart. I know it. Just look at my last week of my life. I'm not pure in heart. God's presence, he is a loving, loving Abba, Father. And he is a holy, consuming, refining fire. It isn't either or, it is both and. You know, if you're new to church or new to Life Center, sometimes we talk about and sing about songs that God is this like consuming fire. And it can be pretty intimidating, like, ooh, what are they singing about right now? Well, consuming things that need to be consumed, like the works of our flesh, but also refining our hearts, because every one of us have a heart that isn't pure all the time, that is in consistent need of being refined. You know, if you put gold through fire, it becomes more pure. Silver is refined through this process, not consumes it, it refines it. And this is what Jesus is speaking about, that the pure in heart, those who are willing to die to themselves, those who are willing to be refined by not just rooting in the love of the Father, but rooted in the love of the Father and then allowing the love, that same love of the Father, to refine you, to purify me, to purify you, is absolutely vital. Lastly, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Making peace is intentional that Jesus said here. He is the prince of peace. And peace isn't something that happens. Peace is something that's made. Peace isn't just something that shows up one day. Peace is something that is contended for, prayed for, as Laurie said, interceded for, which she hosted, that darkness is pushed back so that light can come. How hard is making peace well, look at what God the Father through his Son did so that you and I can have peace and be reconciled with God. You want to know how hard it was? Look at the cross. That's how hard it was. That's what it took for you and I to be reconciled with the Father. Now, because that's a complete work, you and I don't have to die in that sense, but we do have to die to ourselves again for there to be genuine peace. We do have to die to things Make no mistake about it. There is peacemaking and there is peace faking. That just is platitudes, but there's no real change. And if you listen to the prophetic cry of our BIPOC brothers and sisters all around the world, there is a prophetic cry for peacemaking and not mere peace faking that is echoing whether it is in Canada the United States, Nigeria, you pick nation after nation after nation of all that God is doing. May we have ears to hear, not just ears, but ears to hear. In 2020, we need to pray for the courage to take a big, deep breath and to do the hard, costly work of peacemaking. Because here's what Jesus said. Blessed, 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 blessed 
And then he goes on to say, and if you let my refining fire work in your life, then you know what? When people insult you and persecute you, you're blessed. Now, when I read that, I think, come on. Like if, if I was writing this, here's how I would write the book. Here's how I would tell the story of blessing. I would tell the story of blessing when Jesus took out those who were persecuting me. That's my story of blessing. Like, God, when you deal with them and smite them and, and, and everything, and, and like, I, I love the book of Esther so much that everything that Haman wanted for the Jewish people absolutely came back. I'm like, that's it! But yet God is saying in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying, no, I'm not showing you the way of left or the way of right. I'm actually showing you a completely different way. Oh, I don't know if you knew this, by the way. This may be new information for some of you, but did you know that our neighbors to the south are having an election right now? Did you know that? It's hard to know. I mean, they don't talk about it much, but like, like it's hard to know that they're in an election cycle. You don't know. But as, as uh, Pastor Laurie is going to come in just a moment here, um, I want to read a pa- what a pastor in the United States wrote about peacemaking as I close. His name's Evan Wickham, and he's the pastor of a church called Park Life. And he said, as a Jesus follower in America, I am homeless. I have no access to a political party that fights for both the life of the unborn child and the life of the caged child at the border. No one who cares deeply about both scientific concerns of climate and the economy. No party which upholds historical biblical views on one man, one woman's marriage and looks at LGBTQ plus people in the eyes and affirms their civil rights, values in society, and fully welcomes them into the ever-transforming family of Jesus. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was not to slide to the left or to the right. It was actually to create in us a place for homesick for a world that doesn't yet exist. It's not that we can slide in here or there. It's realizing that, ah, God, you are a different king talking about a different kingdom that pulls and stretches every which one of us that cannot sit in the polarization that calls us into a different place of peace. And that's why it takes humility and you keep backing up the story. So how are you doing? When you think about being blessed, are those the seven things that you think about? Or do we have to say, Lord, Thank you that your blessing is different than mine because you're not only speaking about earth, you're speaking about eternity. And if we want to Erebon, if we want to have tastes of heaven on earth, then we need a different king living into a different kingdom. And so together, as a touch of irony, we are going to pray blessing right now on some people. We're going to pray blessing on pastors Jeff and Ingrid who are going to be heading to Cornwall, and we're going to pray blessing on Pastor Kayla. So, Pastor Lord.